There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So today is an interesting, um, reflexive sort of Sunday in that God's Word is telling us about God's Word in this Second Peter passage, the Bible. That we just prayed in the collect appointed for the week that God would help us to read and mark and learn and inwardly digest. It's informally called in Anglican circles, uh, Bible Sunday, because of that, that collect. And it's actually a very um, regrettable but frequent mistake that folks make about the sort of tradition of Christian life that we live within. That as Anglicans, because we love the liturgy and the sacraments, that we don't also love the Bible. Um, but it would that that misconception were banished from the earth. Uh, like all Christians, we're called to embrace and love the Holy Word of God. That's why we have four readings from it every Sunday. We have a through the Bible uh, in a year plan baked in to our morning and evening prayers that we might hear the Bible and in hearing it, loving it. It's just like a good marriage, actually, that the more you communicate verbally, the more the chance the relationship has to grow in love. It's the same thing with the scriptures. The more time you spend with them, the more chance there is for love to grow. Now, um, full confession, I didn't always love the Bible. I grew up in a good Christian home. My dad was a Baptist preacher, um, but uh, I didn't instinctively love the Bible. It, it was like this chore, like cleaning my room or something, like, oh, it's something I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, and there was kind of this always like lingering guilt that I wasn't like doing it enough. Um, and frankly, I also didn't understand much of what I read, and I sort of didn't understand how to read it. Um, a situation which was actually made worse when I went to Christian college, um, and I studied tons about the Bible, took all these classes, but didn't actually read the Bible very much for myself. And so the, the downside of that was I started to think that I was actually smarter than the book itself, and that you know, I didn't really need to go back and read it all. <laughs> what an idiot I was. <laughs> um, it wasn't until 2011 when a New Testament professor um, in seminary named Woody um, led me into a love of the scriptures, which I've had ever since. He was a trustworthy, stable guide, and he showed me how to read it. Uh, and ever since, I've been reading it now for fun, <laughs> to, to, be, to learn from it and, and loving it. And so my hope is that um, on this Bible Sunday, through this sermon, your own lifelong journeys with the scriptures would just be a little bit moved, a, a tiny bit further, one more step down the road um, with Second Peter as, as our guide. Um, to begin with, I love how much, say, the way St. Peter just acknowledges the elephant in the room. He's talking about Paul's writings, but he equates them with all the scripture. So it's actually one of those proofs that right away, when people read Paul's letters, they were like, this is more books of the Bible. That's what Peter calls it, as they, as they do the other scriptures. And he says, there are some things in them, in the Bible, that are hard to understand. Well, I mean, take comfort that if St. Peter himself, the rock on whom Christ would build his church, had trouble understanding the scriptures, we should be comforted if there's something that we don't understand. 
And actually, the moment where there's something that is hard to understand, that's the first crucial um, fork in the road for um, really getting something out of the scriptures. And the fork is this. When you don't understand something, do you fault the text as just not making sense or having an error? Or do you fault your own understanding? Like, I just don't get it. Um, I'm, I, my own inner experience, corroborated by the testimony of many friends, is that in our kind of skeptical age, our first impulse is to kind of fault the text. Like, well, that's an old book. Maybe there's a, an error in it or something. Um, and it could be a discre- um, any sort of uh, perceived error. Like, according to, if you ha- are so committed to some sort of uh, preconceived system of ideas that then the, 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 a particular verse or passage of scripture jams up against, right? And it could be anything. So whether you're so committed to a particular vision of, say, science that you just have to say, well, the Genesis 1 account, it just has to be wrong, right? Or you're so committed to a particular school of theology that, some pati- that a verse is like, well, that doesn't jive with my system, whatever it may be. The crucial choice to make at that moment is to say, now the problem isn't the text, it's, it's just that I don't understand it sufficiently yet. Um, that's what St. Peter does, I believe, is, is suggesting to us in the scriptures. Um, a holy man in the 19th century once said, and this is a phrase I live by, that if you read something in the Bible that is like, doesn't make sense or doesn't add up in some way, to say, it's in the Bible, so it must be true. Right? It's in the Bible, so it must be true. And then just live. It's actually good to live with that sort of temporary cognitive dissonance of there's something that I believe is true that I don't understand. And then to wait for understanding. And if you pray for understanding and wait, understanding often, not in every case, but understanding will often come if we wait for it. There are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand. Um, This fact means that false teachers from St. Peter's Day until our own what they do is they take a passage and then they twist it. That's what it says. They twist the scriptures. The word they, it could also be translated torture, like you know, dismember the bones. They twist the scriptures, and in doing that, the fruit of it is their destruction. Right? That's just what it says. They twist the scriptures to their own destruction. The connection there is that when you start dislocating and warping the meaning of truth, it will filter down to a warped life, which ultimately leads to destruction of the soul in hell. And the Bible says that um, the ones who twist the scripture are ignorant and unstable. I think both words are important. Ignorant there um, means undiscipled. They just haven't spent a lot of time sitting at the feet of scriptures as a student rather than as a master. But ignorance alone... um, Remedying ignorance doesn't alone guarantee a safe, read, a good reading of Scripture. There are people who spend a lot of time reading the Bible and still have twisted conclusions about what it means. And that's why I think there's the second word added to the list, unstable, meaning that you don't have anything to support you up, like, uh, like flimsy, not structurally sound. The flimsiness, I think, has a double meaning. Um, the first is sort of a moral flimsiness, that only... Um, Inasmuch as you're already living into God's truth, are you able to perceive God's truth? That if your life is not living in truth, if you're living it disobedient to God, the ability to even recognize what is true is diminished. But also, I think part of what St. Peter, what, what the Lord had in view in this verse in the Bible, um, is that 
in order to read the Bible well, to not twist the scriptures, we need to be stabilized by something. And that something, as we've seen it function in the life of the church, is the way in which the church as a whole reads the scriptures. The, the early church fathers called this the rule of faith. That it's not just you and just your mind and just the book. It's listening, well, how do other holy men and women of God read these passages? And sort of, not that that's infallible, right? Only the Bible is infallible. But it's a stabilizing guide to look to how other Christians receive it. The shorthand way of saying that is to the tradition and traditional interpretations. Again, not that they're flawless, but that they're stabilizing. They can help you find the right interpretation. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Um, the word lawless there means sort of like unprincipled, like not relying on, not on things that are less than laws, but are not principles that the, that the church has used to understand these things. That if you aren't, don't rely on sort of the consensual reading of the church, then you, you're in danger of yourself becoming unstable, I think in that moral sense again. So what we see in this little passage in Second Peter uh, is three tests for when you're reading the Bible by yourself or you're hearing some other teacher teach on the Bible. Three tests are set to see, is this the, real, the right meaning? Have I understood it rightly? The first is um, to be wary of this idea of twisting, right? It's often the case that a Bible passage can make more sense when you read it in the context of its chapter and the book and the Bible as a whole. And often there'll be a nearby verse that will augment you know, the meaning. But augment by degrees is different than twisting and breaking. One of the things that I always am on the way watch for is when someone says, I know this scripture looks like this, but it actually means the opposite. It's like, well, actually means the opposite, huh? <laughs> but this is, I mean, there are many verses which the sort of, in the, some of the wider world of church, this happens for. If you hear someone say, well, it, doesn't, it really doesn't mean what it sounds like. That's a red flag to me, that we're sort of going into unstable interpretive territory. As part of that, too, is um, does any particular reading of the Bible, if you read, say you're reading the Bible in your quiet time in the morning or as part of the morning prayers, and you hear a verse and you think, oh, I think that means that that thing I was worrying about morally, I don't have to worry about. Almost always, that's not the right reading, Right? Because it's that sort of flimsy, morally loose thing. I mean, again, you, if you've been around the church enough, you've heard interpretations like this. These should be red flags for unstable readings. And then the third is, does it harmonize with the tradition of the church's interpretation? Not, not that that's flawless, but it's a safe ground for interpreting uh, rightly. Um, those are three ways we can help avoid misunderstanding the scriptures and, and, and being bad readers of it, and therefore bad readers not being nourished by them, kind of failing to digest. The other half, of course, is actually just feasting on the Bible for yourself. It's not enough just to avoid the bad readings. It's important to like drink in and eat the good readings. And so we have this verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Grace and knowledge. So grace, I think, the spiritual life, the existential encounter and personal relationship with God through prayer, receiving his mercy and his gifts yourself, the growth in grace, but also the growth in, in knowledge. 
The only way to acquire true knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ is by reading the Bible. Right? I mean, this sort of makes sense, but I've heard so many people say, you know, when you talk about just basic Christian truth and they say, well, it doesn't sound like Jesus. I'm like, well, how many hours in the last month have you been reading the Gospels? Because if you don't read them, you don't have an ear that's tuned to what sounds like Jesus. Jesus actually can be very severe at times, as well as incredibly tender, right? He has this wonderful complexity to his ministry. And so to know Jesus, we should need to read focally the Gospels, which are describing Jesus directly. But on either side of the Gospels, right, you have the rest of the New Testament that sort of is reflecting back, this is what it looks like when Christ is in your life. And we have all of the Old Testament that in uh, prophecies and figures is pointing towards the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so we actually learn about Jesus from all of the Bible, but sort of focally, the Gospels. Every single word in the book is from God. And if you read it rightly, uh, every chapter of the whole Bible points toward Jesus. Um, as I was thinking about this Sunday, I was thinking about how we speak about a good book, like a regular book. We used to talk about, um, oh, you, just, you, you enter into the book. Right? It's kind of a way, a, a way of describing that immersive reading experience. Um, my experience with Scripture is it's actually the next level even more than that. Not only can you enter into the book, but actually like Christ comes out from the book. That if you spend time reading the words of the Gospel, and the whole Bible, but specifically the Gospels, what you experience is that Christ actually comes out of the page. I don't mean with your eyeballs, you'd see him come out of the page. But the words that are describing him as he did something in the past become words describing him as he is in the present, relating to us from heaven. It's a wonderful... Um, there's got to be a word like sort of parallel to like incarnation, like inwardation. I don't, I don't know enough Latin to know how to make that word, but um, there's an experience of Christ to be found in the pages of the scripture. So my exhortation and encouragement to you is here we are, Bible Sunday, the beginning of a new church year, the whole cycle beginning with Advent and Christmas. Um, recommit inwardly to your own reading of the scriptures, to reading the Bible to reading it and marking its meaning, to learning it with the heart as well as the head and inwardly digesting it. That's the idea, right? That food, our body metabolizes for growth and strength. Same idea. That in digesting the scriptures, we actually come to grow into resembling Jesus himself, the likeness of God. Just like Peter and Paul, who read the scriptures and themselves were transformed into the likeness of Christ. Um, lastly, I just want to offer a, a standing invitation to all, all of you. Um, if in your reading of the scriptures at any juncture, you just you run into something that is uh, maybe a bit difficult to interpret, and you're curious, like, well, how did the church historically interpret this? Like, what is that sort of stabilizing interpretation? Um, open invitation to text or call me anytime. There's like few things I could imagine enjoying more than corresponding about. And if I don't know offhand, I'll know where to look in terms of which books kind of carry forward the, the great tradition. And it would be my delight to just offer that to you, not as like, well, this is what we, what we must believe, but just as a stabilizing data point of like, okay, the right interpretation of this probably is near how the church fathers or just the received tradition 
um, interpreter. So open invitation. I, I'm slow on my phone on Mondays because I'm, that's a family day. But any other day, text or call me, and I'd love to um, journey with you um, through and into uh, the Holy Scriptures. Amen.